I support a woman's right to choose. I support it's a constitutional right. I've supported it. I will continue to support it. And I will, in fact, move as president to see to that the Congress legislates that that is the law. From the Heritage Foundation, I'm Tim Desher, and this is Heritage Explains. Have you seen a doctor lately? I did last week. I didn't have to wear a mask. I didn't have to put a coat on. I didn't even have to drive my car. I did it from my office using my iPhone. With very little effort, I was able to get my insulin prescriptions filled within a couple of hours. In many ways, COVID-19 has enabled the future of telemedicine to come sooner than we thought. And it is convenient. But as cool and convenient as it is, telemedicine can't cover every medical issue. Many people still need to see the doctor in person because it's the safest thing for them. You would think one of those issues would be abortions, but not so fast. Have you heard of chemical abortions? Or as the left calls them, medication abortions. Here's a recent promotional video featuring the leader of Planned Parenthood, Alexis McGill-Johnson, promoting chemical abortions through telehealth. Medication abortion gives patients an additional option as they make important reproductive health decisions based on their personal preferences and circumstances. It's also safe and effective for virtually anyone who wants to end an early pregnancy. Taking pills, it's easy, right? Clearly, they are effective. Over the past decade, 40% of all abortions in the U.S. were accomplished by abortion pills. That's a 120% increase. This push to make it easier for women to receive chemical abortions has only increased since COVID-19. And the push to ease certain protections that make it more difficult to receive them are in the left's crosshairs. So are these abortion pills as safe as groups like Planned Parenthood lead you to believe? What risks do they pose? What would it look like if a Biden administration and liberals in Congress removed existing protections currently in place, making abortions more convenient? Our friend Melanie Israel is a research associate in the DeVos Center for Religion and Civil Society here at the Heritage Foundation. This week, she explains. Melanie, it has been a long time since you've joined us on Heritage Explained, so welcome back. Thank you for having me. It's good to be back. Okay, so let's let's jump right in because we've got a lot of explaining to do here. Um, when we're talking about something as big as chemical abortion, it's important to know terms to define them properly. So uh, we, we did our best uh, at the top of the episode, uh, but I wanted to give us a chance here. Go ahead and just define what you mean when you're talking about a chemical abortion. Sure. So I think people are probably familiar with surgical abortions. Um, Chemical abortions are abortions that occur when a woman takes 
medication, um, typically a regimen of two different pills, mifepristone and misoprostol. So wait, is this like the morning after pill that, that I hear about? Because, you know, I'm a guy. I'm not as versed in this stuff. So so just get very basic here. Yeah, yeah. So chemical abortion is not the same thing as mm-hmm. the morning after pill. The, the morning after pill is something that is taken um, pretty much immediately as more of a preventative measure to okay. prevent a pregnancy from implanting and continuing. A chemical abortion has to do with an ongoing pregnancy. We're talking six, seven, eight, nine, ten weeks along. It's a completely different type of medication. It does something completely different um, in a woman's body to cause that abortion. Melanie, take me through the process of a chemical abortion. For a chemical abortion, it's really a two-step process. It requires two different drugs for a woman to take. The first one is called mifepristone, also known under its brand name, Mifeprex, um, sometimes known as RU486. That's um, kind of its laboratory term over in France. So a woman takes this pill, Mifepristone, and that drug essentially works to cut off nutrients that are needed to sustain a pregnancy. And so at that point, the child growing in her womb dies. Now, that's only part of the process, obviously. So a woman takes a second pill, misoprostol, also known under its brand name Cytotec, which is being used off-label in this instance. This is a drug that was not made to be used in the abortion pill regimen. Wait, hold on a second. (laughs) So this is just a... Another use for a drug that was never intended to be turned into an abortion drug. Exactly. So one of the other effects of this drug is uterine cramps. And uh, so, Melanie, that can't be healthy. I mean, is that? I mean, that, that so, just seems very, very uh, shady. So it, it's really interesting. And actually, when the FDA initially approved the abortion pill Mifeprex, um, the maker of this other drug actually came out and said. Our drug, the second part of this regimen, is contraindicated in pregnancy. It's not what we initially made it for. Now, it's pretty common in the world of medicine for certain drugs to be used off-label. So Hmm. this second drug in the abortion pill regimen is used sometimes during labor when a woman is actually giving birth because it can help to kickstart those uterine cramps. It's also a drug that's used sometimes when a, um, a miscarriage has occurred. Hmm. Um, when it's a, a, an early miscarriage, this drug can be given to help complete that process. Right. So it is being used off-label huh. in this context, um, but I, I think it's important that people also understand that when a woman has a miscarriage or when a woman is you know, in labor trying to, to give birth to her baby, she she didn't choose to have that happen, yeah. um, the, the miscarriage, or she, she's obviously choosing to give birth. And in yeah, the abortion much pill, different. exactly, in the yeah. abortion pill process, right. um, women are sent off to have this abortion occur at home. Um, the abortion industry typically downplays what a woman can expect to occur during this process. They right. say things like, oh, it's just going to be a heavy period. You're not going to know the difference. It, it's easy peasy. Um, it's not going to take long. There's not going to be any kind of major side effects. As it stands right now, 
What are some of the restrictions that are currently in place for a chemical abortion? Walk into a pharmacy and say, you know, over the counter, hey, I, I want, you know, this chemical abortion pills. That's not how it works for now. Okay. We know the abortion industry is agitating to make that possible. Okay. Um, so I, I want to make that clear on the front end. Um, but right now, the current restrictions that are in place um, have to do with dispensing requirements. You, you can't just get this at a regular retail pharmacy. It has to be prescribed to a woman by a certified provider through um, the maker of these abortion pills. So it's been largely relegated to abortion providers like Planned Parenthood, your okay. typical, you know, family doctor or OBGYN even, they, they don't want anything to do with abortion. And so they have not, um, you know, so far been actively seeking out to be a qualified prescriber through this abortion pill maker. So, um, so that's a pretty big restriction then. It is. It is. And we're talking these restrictions through the FDA, the Risk Evaluation and Mitigation Strategy, or REMS. REMS. It, it's an extra level of restrictions of oversight that the FDA puts on certain drugs that they deem um, necessary to have these extra layers to assure safe use, um, safety, other medications people might recognize are things like um, Accutane or okay. certain types of, of cancer treatment medications, things that the FDA has deemed it is too dangerous to have them be subject to your, your typical regulations for um, medications and prescription medications. Yeah, makes, um, that makes sense. I mean, this is slightly more than just taking a pill to help cure, a, you know, a virus that you have. You know? Right, right. This is something that the FDA has recognized can have serious adverse events. Yeah. Um, it, it's something that could be dangerous um, if, if it's unregulated. And unfortunately, we we see this play out with illegal abortion pills that international actors ship to women in the U.S. through the mail. Um, th this is a dangerous pill we're talking about. It has serious complications. Um, it's more dangerous than surgical abortion. Um, you're, you're more likely to have a complication from chemical abortion. And unfortunately, the abortion industry right now is actively agitating to remove these restrictions, make chemical abortion more common and even more Wait, accessible. Okay, so I know we want to make them more common. I know that, but aren't they concerned about some of the serious health risks? What What is their response to that? So the abortion industry really, really likes to say that chemical abortion is safe, it's easy, it's a process that a woman can just DIY, do it yourself at home. You don't need any kind of doctor oversight. Um, they want to make it something that's available through telemedicine. Um, and it's really pretty amazing because we know that with these abortion pills, it can be very, very dangerous if a woman takes these pills, particularly if she has certain things going on, like an ectopic pregnancy. That's where a pregnancy has essentially implanted in the wrong place in a woman's body. It's a pregnancy where, you know, unfortunately, medical science has not found a way to sustain that pregnancy. And it can be life threatening um, to the woman if that pregnancy is allowed to continue, if it ruptures, yeah. um, because it's a pregnancy that's developing in the wrong part of her body. If a woman is taking this abortion pill and she has an undiagnosed ectopic pregnancy, that can lead to serious or maybe even fatal 
complications. Um, we also know that oftentimes these pills don't work the first time. Hmm. A woman has to get another round because wow. the abortion was incomplete or it, it simply didn't work. And sometimes that requires surgical means. There have been fatalities of women who have taken these pills and it cost them their lives. And unfortunately, what the Obama administration did in 2016 is they weakened these restrictions. Where that leaves us now is the abortion industry is able to say, oh, well, we're not having all of these serious adverse events. Look, look, look at the data, right. look at the numbers. And of I course, see. it's easy to say that if you're not collecting that data in the first place. And, because, and isn't it, isn't what's happening? I mean, aren't, aren't certain states, California, maybe New York, I, I, aren't they not even reporting this stuff? I mean, aren't they not? I mean, exactly. like, it's, it's shoddy. Exactly. Abortion reporting in the United States leaves much to be desired. Yeah. Uh, that would be an understatement. So with that caveat that abortion reporting in the U.S. leaves much to be desired, we can say that chemical abortion makes up roughly 40, 41 percent. Well, OK, that so we that, know was, of, that was that was my abortion. next that was my next question. It, 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 it does get to it is, is to how common chemical abortions are. The number of chemical abortions has been going up yeah. um, every year. And unfortunately, started going up very drastically after those REMS were weakened yeah. by the Obama administration in 2016. There was a generic version um, of the abortion pill that was approved a couple years ago. It, it's something that the abortion industry has been aggressively pushing. It makes up roughly 40 okay. percent of abortions annually in the United States. Um, and, and we also know that many Planned Parenthood clinics have gone to exclusively yeah. doing so 40, chemical abortions. So 40 percent of abortions are now chemical abortions. Right. I was reading an article in prep for this about a federal judge who is now, you know, making the case, the abortion lobby's case in federal court that we need to relax some of these REMS that we were talking about in order to make chemical abortions more accessible to limit a woman going into, you know, do a surgical abortion. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, yeah. So that's one of the things. The abortion lobby, they have been trying to take advantage of this pandemic um, and essentially say that they want even less interaction yeah. between a woman and her provider hmm. um, during this, this very serious time in her life. So we've got this judge out of Maryland who has suspended some of those in-person dispensing requirements. And then we also have the ACLU, a case out of, I believe it's Hawaii, where they are also agitating to have these rims removed. We also know that the abortion lobby has been actively calling on the Biden administration through their new leadership at the FDA to remove those rims. They, yeah. they want abortion, chemical abortion, to be available as widely as possible. And I'll also note, you know, we, we've already seen issues of conscience come up mm. with pharmacists in the context of dispensing things like the morning after pill. Can you imagine the kind of conflicts that could potentially be happening if people opposed to abortion would end up being forced 
to dispense abortion drugs. It, it, it raises all these other very, very serious issues. Talk a little bit about how the states can play a role in limiting chemical abortions now. That's a great question because, again, we are really expecting the Biden administration to listen to what the abortion lobby is telling them to do. Um, And in fact, we have Vice President-elect Kamala Harris, who is a a great friend to the abortion industry. So I want people to realize that this is not some sort of hypothetical scenario we're we're talking about. That they are the abortion lobby is very, very serious about making this one of their signature administrative agenda items. Many states do have laws on the books right now that are trying to restrict chemical abortion within their jurisdictions. Unfortunately, a lot of those laws can reference or rely on these FDA REMS, Ah. those restrictions. And so, unfortunately, if your state laws are relying on the FDA restrictions and the Biden administration FDA comes in and does away with those restrictions, then you're you're in trouble. And so this is going to require in the various states for leaders there to look at their laws, find out what those potential weaknesses are, and act accordingly, use their own legislative processes to address those restrictions. One of the things that you talk about is coercion. Explain that a little bit. I want people to to kind of take a step back and really think about what can so often drive a woman's decision Hmm. to have an abortion. Um, You know, we we know hearing from women many times it has to do with things like an unsupportive partner, Mm -hmm. um, economic circumstances, uh, their afraid their parents will find out. There's so many different reasons that can lead a woman to choose an abortion. But I want people to think about what we could see happen if these abortion pills are available widely, um, if they're, they're easy to access. Think about what a powerful tool these abortion pills can be in the hands of an unsupportive partner hmm. who wants a woman to abort their child yeah. because he has no interest in being a father, is, is threatening to leave, is threatening to, to kick her out. All of these different scenarios. Think about what a powerful tool these abortion pills would be to traffickers. Let's get into some action steps here. We got a potentially rough road with the Biden administration. And then we've got, you know, Democrats controlling the House and now with the, the situation in the Senate, you know, these are these are razor thin here. So, so what is as conservatives, what are our action steps here? The goal of the pro-life movement, it's multifaceted. Ultimately, they're striving for a day where human life is both protected in law and welcomed in life. So we've got those two different components here. Obviously, legislation, public policy, that is huge. It makes a difference. It matters who is in charge throughout our government making these decisions. Mm. But the other part of that, welcomed in life, that second half, that's something that can be done regardless of who is sitting in the White House. That work is being done every day 
in your communities, in your churches, at pregnancy resource centers with helping women who are facing unplanned pregnancies, um, doing things like diaper drives, baby showers, providing for moms who need things like a crib, diapers, clothes, formula, all of those things, organizations that help women navigate their options with with public assistance to be able to to put food on the table and provide for their child, to be able to to help women who are in a, a bad situation with an unsupportive partner. So much of that work that's being done at the community level, that happens no matter who is in charge. Well, Melanie, thank you so much for bringing this to our attention. Thank you so much for putting it back on our radar after so long. And we're going to be following it. So please, let's not make it as long the next time. Sounds good to me. And thank you so much for being a loyal listener to Heritage Explains. I'm going to go ahead and link to all the relevant information in the show notes. So please log on for more context, get yourself educated and get in the game informing other people. Please leave us a comment wherever you listen to the podcast. You can also like us. You can also send us an email at managingeditor@heritage.org. We'd love to hear from you. Michelle's up next week. We'll see you then. Heritage Explains is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. It is produced by Michelle Cordero and Tim Desher, with editing by John Pop.